and with your spirit. Glory to the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Some years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, when Pope Francis was just beginning his ministry as our Holy Father, he announced that he was going to dedicate a whole year, a jubilee year, to the theme, the reality, the great gift of God's mercy. The jubilee year of mercy began, and we had lots of celebrations and prayers and things like that for that full year. And at the heart of everything that we did that year was the image that was the logo of the holy year, the jubilee year, of the Father, uh, receiving his prodigal son into his arms. It was on everything, wherever we went, even priest stoles and altar cloths had that image on it. It was beautiful. And that story that we heard two weeks ago, um, the story of the extraordinarily loving father who receives his extraordinarily terrible son back to without any conditions, just out of the pure mercy of his heart, really was the foundation of the whole idea of God's mercy, it was beautifully portrayed. Remember just two weeks ago. 
This week, we also have a new parable. Jesus tells us yet another parable, and it too is about mercy. At first blush, maybe it doesn't sound like a mercy tale, but it really is. Because let's begin with the first character. Well, actually, he's the second character as he goes through it, but it's the poor guy. This, this poor, 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 terribly poor guy. He has nothing. And he's parked himself in front of the door of the richest guy in the whole world. You know, the mansion, you know, gold leaf and pearls and ivory and wine served in bowls and everything. You know, all the wealth you could possibly imagine. And this poor guy is laying there and he has absolutely nothing and he's dying of hunger and he's, he's got sores and the dogs are licking his sores. And, and Jesus, you know, everybody that's hearing this is saying, ick, ugly, poor guy, but ick. We don't want to get close to him because he's sick and he's poor and he's dirty and he's filthy and he's contaminated. You know, stand back. But Jesus when he describes this guy very briefly, does one thing that's extraordinary. Jesus gives him a name. And not just any old name. He gives this poor fellow the name of his best friend. The guy in the whole world that he probably loves more than even any of his disciples. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. The very guy that Jesus would raise from the dead. Jesus calls this character, this poor, poor man that everyone else looks down upon with disgust and disdain. Because obviously his poverty is a result either of his bad choices or his incompetence or his ill will or because God doesn't like him. And so Jesus gives him the name of his best friend and thus shows that he esteems this poor man deeply. On the other side, you've got the rich guy. Now this guy is not just rich. This guy is richer than rich. This is the wealthiest guy in the whole world. This guy has more money and more gold and more pearls and more silver and more everything than anybody in the whole world could ever imagine. He is as rich as rich could be. Richer than rich, beyond anyone's imagining. In the world of today, he would be the trillionaire who's got boats and palaces and villas and everything he wants in the entire world. And yet this rich guy, every time he comes in and out of the front door of his palace, sees poor Lazarus there and gives him nothing. Not even a penny, not even a cent. Nothing, not even a crumb of bread from his lavish tables. Not even a sip of water. This rich guy is so rich that he no longer has left in him even the slightest little bit of mercy or compassion or, I dare say, love. He is not the possessor of his possessions his possessions possess him. His wealth has taken over his life. 
His riches have become so important to him that nothing else in life matters. He can't even afford the smallest crumb of bread to give to poor Lazarus who's dying in the street outside his palatial front gate. He has become a prisoner of his wealth. But even more, his arrogance, his ego, his I'm so important, I'm so rich, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, I've got more money than anybody, I've got more gold than anybody, I've got the best house, I've got the best staff, I've got the best this, the best that. He's become so focused in on himself that he no longer has a heart. There's nothing left. It's wilted completely dry. That's the guy in the palace. And when we look at poor Lazarus, you know, the poorest of the poor laying there in the street with the dogs licking his sores, it's easy for us to say, well, where is God for Lazarus? Where is, God, why, where is God's mercy for him? Why doesn't God do something for poor Lazarus? If, if people have to suffer like that, then why, where's God in all of that? It's an age-old question. You know, why do people suffer? Why do people suffer so horribly if there is a good and loving and merciful God out there? And, and in a sense, this parable answers that question by saying, well, certainly God loves Lazarus. Jesus makes it very clear that Lazarus is deeply loved by God. Remember, he gives them the name of his best and dearest friend. The problem is not with God. God has given Lazarus the rich man to offer him mercy. God has put Lazarus at the door of the wealthiest man in the world, hoping that maybe that rich man will go out there and see him and embrace him and take him in and feed him and nourish him and bring him back to health and save him from the ravishing dogs outside. But the rich man will have none of it. It's not God's lack of mercy for poor Lazarus that's the problem in this story. It's the rich man who has no heart left who is the one without mercy for poor Lazarus. So they both die, part two of the story. Both characters die, Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus goes to the father, goes to Father Abraham and enjoys the blessings of life everlasting in God's kingdom. Blessings he deserves after a difficult and hard life. The other guy, the rich guy, goes nowhere. He dies, and he ends up in the inferno. He ends up, you know, suffering all the calamities of hell. You know, it's one of those awful, awful things and he has to do this for all eternity. And he cries out from his place in the fires of hell. He's so thirsty. You know, Abraham, way over there, Abraham, send, send that Lazarus guy to bring me a little drip of water to, 
for my parched throat. And, and Abraham calls back across the abyss, sorry, Charlie, can't do it. You know, there's a big abyss between us, between here and there. And the guy, you know, is suffering, and now it's his turn to suffer, and that whole story is, you know, it's clear in our minds. Jesus makes it so clear. And, and then it's possible once again to say, but where's God's mercy for the rich guy? Why doesn't God help him? Why doesn't God hear his prayers? You know, why doesn't God give him relief even after a terrible life of wealth and in lack of compassion and lack of mercy? And the answer is that God would gladly offer this guy mercy. He would gladly offer him the promise of life without end, a life of grace and joy and blessings. He created him after all in the very beginning. He, he loves this old, wealthy, rich guy now suffering in hell. But what's the problem? The problem, again, is not the lack of God's mercy. The problem is he is still so selfish and so self-cold-hearted and so unable to love that even his request to Abraham to send Lazarus to him and then later to his brothers is not a supplication. It's not an act of, of asking for forgiveness. It's a command. Even from his sufferings in hell, he's telling Abraham what to do, as if Abraham is his servant, as if Lazarus is his slave. Lazarus, bring me that water. He still has no compassion, no mercy, and he never asks for forgiveness. He never says, I was a terrible man. He never says, forgive me, Father, for all that I've done. And so on he goes. He has created his own hell that he cannot escape because he has no heart left in him. Alas, a tale of Two extraordinary characters, one so poor he dies in his poverty, one so rich he dies in his wealth. Their roles are reversed. It's a story of God's mercy for Lazarus and his desire to be merciful to this guy, but the guy's rejection of God's mercy. Because he was not merciful in his life, he cannot be merciful or receive mercy in his death. He rejects it. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what to ask for. <coughs> and it is, as Jesus' parables always are, this powerful, powerful image of what goes on in our lives as human beings. It's a reminder to us that mercy is everything. As Pope Francis has tried to remind us over and over and over again, what is God's name? God's name is mercy. God's very name is mercy. And we are extensions of that mercy. <coughs> As God has been merciful to us, so we are to be merciful to others. If God has blessed us with anything, not just with material wealth, 
but with the wealth of wisdom, the wealth of holiness, the wealth of grace in any of its forms, then that is a grace and a blessing that has to be shared because we are merciful people as God is merciful. <coughs> with those who have little, with those who have nothing, with those who lack wisdom, who lack joy, who lack grace in their lives in any of its many forms, we are agents of God's mercy because God has been so merciful to us. And in practicing mercy, we prepare ourselves to receive the ultimate mercy of God's forgiveness for our sins and of his embrace of us no matter what we've ever done, just like the father does to the prodigal son. Pope Francis reminded us so long ago eight, seven years ago. And we're really required to remember it every year, every day, that God's name is mercy. And we are agents of that mercy in this life so that we can receive the blessing of God's mercy, his compassion, his love, his very life in the life to come.